Hello and welcome to episode, oh god knows, I think it's 70. I'm not even going to look it up. It is the 25th of March 2020. I'm in day three of a increasingly onerous lockdown, thanks to Scott Morrison, who finally actually did something vaguely reminiscent of leading. It was late, it was poorly given advice, it was not very clear not very consistent, kids can go to school, you can get a haircut, but you can't get a wax, you can go to the food court, but you can't eat there, it's all all over the place, but essentially, I'm out of work, because of this ridiculous ban, which also, to be fair, had to happen, it just unfortunately was the case that I'm in a job highly sensitive to every single entertainment venue in the country being shut down at once overnight so it was sunday night bit of a shock i've been going well i think monday was okay it was just tuesday when i was getting really worried because all the keg trucks are being used to carry pallets and no more kegs because obviously every pub is closed we've just got bottle shops i was like yeah aren't they just going to use the full-time keg drivers to drive the pack trucks now which yeah inevitably happened today because i wasn't asked to come in my anxiety demon was running around in my head waiting to see if I'd get another shift suddenly. Maybe it was just a one-off, but no, it's all over. I did not hear back from anyone in the agency or the company, so I'm just going to have to bite the bullet and see what else is out there, which I have been doing, sending off resumes, and I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but there we are. Link in the morning, whether on the phone or in person, because I don't have the right details or customer reference number to make it happen online. And the cues I've been seeing, that was the most painful thing. I was fighting my way in the truck past queues of people lined up for blocks to get into Centrelink because you have literally a million people suddenly out of work with these new draconian measures which yeah it's a double-edged sword because I'm like no but then I'm like yeah kind of has to happen it's just you can't fight it it's not a fake government engineered psyops program to uh, god knows what their motivation would be to do that but it is real and it is very serious and pretty much everyone on my Facebook wall is like, yep, stay home. And all the celebrities are encouraging everyone to do the same thing. It's a lot worse overseas. To be fair, New Zealand is in complete lockdown. No one can go anywhere except maybe the supermarket. England's even more onerous. Italy, of course, the same. India, pretty much every country now is in a state of martial law that I haven't seen in my lifetime. It hasn't happened in the world since 1919, the Spanish flu, and I don't think even that was this widespread because these days you've got international travel and cruise ships and planes and, yeah, that was another thing. The New South Wales government just let them empty a cruise ship into the Sydney Harbour a few days ago, which was confirmed to have had like 50 or 60 cases on it. And they're just like, good luck, see you later. What could possibly go wrong? even though you can't have more than five people at a wedding. So that made sense. So it's just going to be a wild ride, and I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. We'll be getting at least a slightly better Centrelink payment than usual. It's roughly 2 20 a week normally. I don't know how anyone even eats peanut butter on toast on that kind of money, let alone has somewhere to live. Of course, there is what they call a housing commission or government housing, but boy, you've got to wait a long time to get into that. So what does someone do that just loses their job and paying market rent 
like myself, 300 a week is probably the most I've ever paid. And I'm in the worst financial situation I've been in since my early 20s, which is pretty lame. But And that's the other thing that's frustrating. I've had good government jobs before, not high like middle management, but you know, paid well for what it was. And uh, I just screwed up. I would make the kind of mistakes that would make a teenager blush. Like, how could you be that fucking stupid and go and post whatever it was you did online or... You know, it was always something completely unrelated to the job, both with the trains and even the buses, not so much. It was I was caught speeding in the car. There was nothing I did on the job in all three cases. The prisons, the trains and the buses, great jobs all. And I would do something in my private life completely. I was like, ah, it's not going to come back on me at all. I'll be fine. My private life and my work life will never intersect in any way whatsoever. And inevitably they did. Because I'm an idiot. And I like to think to a degree that I've kind of smoothed the rough edges a little. And that in the future, if I do get another opportunity to prove myself in a vaguely more highly skilled professional place of work, that I won't make the same mistakes. But for now, I've just got to take what I can get and do the best I can. And uh, things have been better with Lewis. We saw a movie, I think it was Saturday night. So the very last night that you could go and watch a movie, really. Sunday doesn't count. Because <laughs> even on Saturday at 8 o'clock in Bondi Junction, one of the busiest malls in the country, there was no one. It was a ghost town. There was maybe two other people in the cinema at, like, peak, peak hour, you know, when it should be just crammed. I couldn't even do the dodgy, grab a box of popcorn and walk straight in because it was literally just me and the two staff looking right at me like, hey, how you doing? I was, I'd even had a chat with them earlier, so I was like, no, I better pay for my popcorn. Even though I paid like $60 for the movie tickets, that was always how I'd rationalised it. I go there so often. Popcorn's virtually, like it's kind of not free, but once you buy one, you can just go back and get as much as you want, which is what I planned to do halfway through the movie because uh, we just smashed that stuff and there was none left. They'd all closed up and gone home. Which I've only ever seen happen when it was like a late session. I've gone like, you know, the midnight movie or whatever it was. And then you'd go out and fair enough, they've all gone home. But this was at like probably 8.30 by the time I walked out there again. And uh, yeah, I was like, this is probably a sign of things to come. And also buying the tickets, you had to get them three seats apart. And then that was it. They've all been knocked on the head. So, you know, at least I had a couple more days longer than other people. You know, two where I could work, so I won't be completely broke next week. I did get paid today. I should do something with that. Normally, I shift 90% of my pay over to my credit card. This time, I might hang on to that cash for now. It's, there's no interest on it until October or something, so that helps. The way it's going, I'm not sure how I'm going to pay it off by then. That was the plan. I was on track. The money I was making, but God knows what's going to happen applied for like yeah 50 jobs today so we'll see hopefully there is somewhere out there that will take someone on board uh there was someone on facebook a friend of a friend that's like yeah i need some guy to pick pack and deliver for us now and then so it's 20 hours a week i haven't heard an hourly rate yet i don't expect it would be much so that would be really like just taking whatever's left that's in fairfield so it's a bit of a drive the urm people popped up again they always seem to be advertising the the rubbish trucks um, i'd met a guy that worked for them he wasn't too impressed with his time working for them he ended up getting sacked from he probably got sacked from them as well but he got 
got the uh, the ass from Bevchain because he backed into a some kind of bollard and not wrecked the back of the truck. It didn't look that bad, but they said it was an expensive fix. So got to go. That's the thing. When you're in an agency job, you're on the edge, and that's probably the worst part of that job. Doing the work itself was pretty good. The Tuesday, yeah, what happened? I the first delivery had to wait for a while. The manager turned up at some liquor land in the middle of nowhere, Bradbury, out near Campbelltown, and she's like, "Oh, can you put the pallets here, here?" there and there had four of them first two fine straight into the shop the second two they wanted in the cool room fine no worries not a lot of room i had to kind of spin around a couple of times and play a bit of tetris with them to make it work she didn't think they were quite where she wanted them to be but i kind of pushed back and was like yeah look if i put it there i'm not going to be able to get my pallet jack out so i just kind of stood firm and did the best i could which is what i didn't realize I'd have to explain very carefully and in written form to management later on because apparently she rang up and complained and that's something she does a lot according to management so I didn't feel too bad that that had happened it wasn't just me and it's the first time it had ever happened so I couldn't feel as smug about hearing other guys dealing with a similar kind of thing oh hi cat don't mess with me too much gizmo is just using the laptop as a scratching post and no you you're completely wet can you get no gizmo you're wet oh that bloody cat's going to be the death of me anyway i do have an article to read uh, let's see how that goes ironically the title is open borders are a trillion dollar idea and it's a an apologetic article pushing for open borders which i'd always been in favor of but given the current drama that is going on with this disease that originated overseas i'm not going to whoever knows where it was china but Right, so where were we? Open border. Sorry, the cats did get into a bit of a fight. Not mine. The neighbourhood cats that decided to show up on my front door. So uh, once I'd thrown enough non-lethal and non-injurious items at them, like small light socks, things like that, they're out of there. I had enough of uh, dirty laundry. Um, I can get back to this. Very important. It was written on November the 1st, 2019. So it was quite current when I clicked on this way back last year i I like to think the principles still sound other than a global pandemic like this which with clear communication and swift action should still be something that can be contained um, even with the borders being more fluid than they are now you should be able to be flexible open but when there's an emergency like this close that's fine they've even closed the borders between every state in australia which is highly i've never heard of that happening before unless you're a truckie on a job or it's some official business then you're not crossing that border every single theme park anything you can think of where there's more than five people in one place it's done dusted you're not getting inside it's a bit weird it sort of suits me as an introvert or as someone who's quite comfortable by themselves at home as long as there's enough a good internet connection i'm fairly good at entertaining myself do like to have a social connection i think most humans do are wired to need that validation from peers and family and there is a mental health aspect there where which you can't ignore i've heard about studies where you get a lot more of a the brain fires off more neurons neurons ah oh, i'm getting a bit tired basically you're happier when you see a face in person not on a screen and when you're talking to an actual real life human being in front of you a lot more neurons are firing basically neurons yeah those things it's more mentally healthy 
to be around real people. As long as it's not some kind of toxic relationship, then that's a good thing to do. And I look forward to doing that. I was hoping to do it this weekend on my birthday. Uh, even a small thing would have been good, but uh, I think that's off the table at this point. Um, I'll just have to do something in a few months, belatedly. Just force the issue, just randomly. Not even a birthday thing, just catch up with some friends uh, over dinner when that is something that people do again. But for now, it's all completely digital. Even the Ironfest cosplay competition, which I was looking forward to, middle of April, that's been cancelled. No uh, free accommodation, no hanging out with all the cool people and seeing all the awesome artwork that happens up there. And, and oh, I was really, that was a, going to be a big highlight of my year, but pretty disappointed about that. I was also kind of nervous, so a bit of the pressure's off, but I really would have liked for that to have still happened somehow. I remember joking with the other guys about when the coronavirus was entering the conversation, basically every other conversation came up now and then as a thing like, hey, isn't that something that we should worry about? Nathan Soden, who's a bit of a worry wart, was in there in the group chat like, um, is this still happening? We're like, come on, man, relax. We'll just put some hand sanitizer in every other tent and you just go for it. But uh, he had his finger on the pulse. Got to give him that respect it's, it's really disappointing but hopefully next year we'll be back bigger than ever even newspapers are closing because this just pushed them off a cliff of of no one being able to drive around and comics aren't being delivered uh to after april that's it that's the last comics anyone's going to have until the end of this because it's a non-essential service i guess so the main distributor in america i think it's diamond publishing or distribution they're just shutting their doors so that's it there's so many people out of work and hopefully the government has the money to keep us from going broke and homeless and starving or whatever else potentially before all these it's going to be millions of people so i guess this is our 1929 it's a bit early it wasn't exactly 100 years later but i can't imagine it could get much worse than what we're looking at. Um, I haven't hit the skids yet, but it's it's going to be a rough ride. Uh, back to, I mean, I eat like shit anyway. It's just going to be less greasy fast food. It's going to be more shitty food at home. Like fish fingers and toast and back to my early student days. Um, I can handle it, but you know what? You've got to have the silver lining of just, hey, when it's over, you're going to love it. You're going to just go crazy with how awesome life can be. But now we'll just have to knuckle down. But, yeah, back to the article. I could re- read this at some point. And it is written by Brian Kaplan. And it's got a really cool graphic up the top with him, with his arms outstretched. He kind of looks like a, a cartoon version of John Oliver, who's been doing a great show on This Week Tonight, or whatever it's called. Last week, yesterday, it's got some weird name. He, it's, it's a really good show, though. And he did an episode on the corona thing, thought that would be the end of it. Did one on, like, sheriffs that was hilarious. And then it's gone back to the coronavirus because it just hit hard. No more shows with an audience. He did it by himself. It looked like at home. It was so weird having all these awesome jokes not land because there's no audience. You really do miss having a studio audience. Uh, it was still stupidly funny, but it was just like, oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to him getting back in the saddle of the show proper. Yeah, just every chat show, entertainment show, anything that's got a vaguely live aspect to it is just over. And even all the normal fictional series uh being shut down so there's going to be a bit of delay in fresh content for a while even the medical dramas that would have been shooting 
not only shut down but had to donate all their props Grey's Anatomy when you're looking at ventilators masks anything they could use in a real hospital was just shipped off all the F1 teams that were stood down because every every sport you can think of has just been sent home packing they've switched from producing state-of-the-art high-tech car parts to ventilators got all these anyone that could potentially make something related to healthcare is doing it that's more of an american england thing but it's pretty cool to see when the shit hits the fan that all these organizations and, and groups and people just pull together and do whatever it takes so there's still a lot of idiots out there that make it harder and even some in in power a donald uh that are saying completely misleading things but i think by and large people are doing the right thing so hopefully we can get through this and again for the 15th time back to the article the title is open borders a trillion dollar idea it's written by brian kaplan and the world's nations especially the world's richest nations are missing an enormous chance to do well while doing good the name of this massive missed opportunity and the name of my book is open borders critics of immigration often hyperbolically accuse their opponents of favoring open borders a world where all nationalities are free to live and work in any nation they like for most that's an unfair label they want more visas for highly skilled workers family reunification refugees not the end of immigration restrictions in my case however this accusation is no overstatement i think that free trade in labor is a massive missed opportunity open borders are not only just but the most promising shortcut to global prosperity to see the massive missed opportunity of which I speak, consider the migration of a low-skilled Haitian from Port-au-Prince to Miami. In Haiti, he would earn about $1,000 per year. In Miami, he could easily earn $25,000 per year. How is such upward mobility possible? Simply put, human beings are much more productive in Florida than in Haiti, thanks to better government policies, better management, better technology, and much more. The main reason Haitians suffer in poverty it's not because they are from Haiti, but because they are in Haiti. If you were stuck in Haiti, you too would probably be destitute. Borders aren't just a missed opportunity for those stuck on the wrong side on them. See, that seems like a grammatical issue there. For those stuck on the wrong side of them, makes more sense. If the walls come down, almost everyone benefits because immigrants sell the new wealth they create, and the inhabitants of their new country are their top customers. As long as Haitians remain in Haiti, they produce next to nothing, and therefore do next to nothing to enrich the rest of the world. When they move, their productivity skyrockets, and so does their contribution to their new customers. When you see a Haitian restaurant in Miami, you shouldn't picture the relocation of a restaurant from Port-au-Prince. You should picture the creation of a restaurant that otherwise would never have existed, not even in Haiti itself. The central function of existing immigration laws is to prevent this wealth creation from happening to trap human talent in low productivity countries and of all the destructive economic policies known to man nothing on earth is worse i'm not joking standard estimates say open borders would ultimately double humanity's wealth production how is this possible because immigration sharply increases workers productivity and the world contains many hundreds of millions of would-be immigrants multiply a massive gain per person by a massive number of people and you would end up with what the economist michael clemens calls trillion dollar bills on the sidewalk or do we an old saying warns if it seems too good to be true it probably is far lower levels of immigration already inspire vocal complaints 
After presenting my basic case in Open Borders, I strive to evaluate all the common and many not so common objections to immigration. My bottom line, while Open Borders are undeniably unpopular, they deserve to be popular. Like every social change, immigration has downsides. Yet when we patiently quantify the downsides, the trillions of dollars of gains of open borders dwarf any credible estimate of the harms. The simplest objection to open borders is logistical. Even the largest countries cannot absorb hundreds of millions of immigrants overnight. True enough, but no reasonable person expects hundreds of millions to come overnight either. Instead, immigration usually begins slowly and then snowballs. Puerto Ricans have been legally allowed to move to the United States since 1904, but it took almost a century before Puerto Ricans in the United States came to outnumber the population left on the island. Wasn't the European migration crisis an unmanageable flood of humanity? Hardly. Despite media outcry, total arrivals from 2014 to 2018 came to less than 1% of the population of the European Union. Many European countries, most notably West Germany during the Cold War, have swiftly absorbed much larger inflows in the past. The standard explanation for these asymmetric public reactions is that resistance to immigration is primarily cultural and political, not economic or logistical. While West Germans welcome millions of East German migrants, a much lower dose of Middle Eastern and African migration has made the whole EU shiver. Aren't economists who dwell on economic gains just missing the point? Yes and no. As a matter of political psychology, cultural and political arguments against immigration are indeed persuasive and influential. That does not show, however, that these arguments are correct or decisive. Does immigration really have the negative cultural and political effects critics decry? Even if it did, are there cheaper and more humane remedies than immigration restriction? In any case, what is a prudent price tag to put on these cultural and political effects? Let's start with readily measurable cultural and political effects. In the United States, the most common cultural complaint is probably that. In contrast to the days of Ellis Island, today's immigrants fail to learn English. The real story, though, is that few first-generation immigrants have ever become fluent in adulthood. It's just too hard. German and Dutch immigrants in the 19th century maintained their stubborn accents and linguistic isolation all their lives. New York's Yiddish newspapers were a fixture for decades. For their sons and daughters, however, acquiring fluency is child's play, even for groups like Asians and Hispanics that are often accused of not learning English. Native-born citizens also frequently worry that immigrants supposedly lacking Western culture's deep respect for law and order will be criminally inclined. At least in the United States, however, this is the reverse of the truth. The incarceration rate of the foreign-born is about a third less than that of the native-born. What about the greatest crime of all? Terrorism. In the United States, non-citizens have indeed committed 88% of all terrorist murders. When you think statistically, however, this is 88% of a tiny sum, in an average year from 1975 to 2017, terrorists murdered fewer than 100 people on US soil per year. Less than 1% of all deaths are murders, and less than 1% of all murders are terrorism-related. Worrying about terrorism really is comparable to worrying about lightning strikes after you take a few common-sense precautions, do not draw a sword during a thunderstorm, you should just focus on living your life. The most cogent objection to immigration, though, is that productivity depends on politics, and politics depend on immigration. Native-born citizens of developed countries have a long track record of voting for the policies that make their industries thrive, indeed their countries rich. 
Who knows how vast numbers of new immigrants would vote? Indeed, shouldn't we expect people from dysfunctional polities to bring dysfunctional politics with them? These are fine questions, but the answers are not alarming. At least in the United States, the main political division between the native and foreign-born is engagement. Even immigrants legally able to vote are markedly less likely than native-born citizens to exercise this right. In 2012, for example, 72% of eligible native-born citizens voted. This is the United States versus 48% of eligible immigrants. Wherever they politically stand, immigrants' opinions are relatively inert, so mostly they just don't bother voting. In any case, immigrants' political opinions don't actually stand out. On average, they're a little more economically liberal and a little more socially conservative, and that's about it. Yes, low-skilled immigrants' economic liberalism and social conservatism are more pronounced, but their turnout is low. In 2012, only 27% of those eligible to vote opted to do so. While it would not be alarmist to think that immigration will slightly tilt policy in an economically liberal, socially conservative direction, warning that immigrants will vote to kill the goose that lays the golden eggs is paranoid. Note, moreover, that free immigration hardly implies automatic citizenship. Welcoming would-be migrants is a clear-cut blessing for them and the world. Granting citizenship is more of a mixed bag. I'm personally happy to have new citizens. I often dwell on the strange fact that the Persian Gulf monarchies are more open to immigration than almost anywhere else on Earth. According to the Pew Research Centre, 76% of people in Kuwait and 88% in the United Arab Emirates are foreign-born. Why do the native-born tolerate this? Probably because the Gulf monarchies generously share their oil wealth with citizens and jealously protect the value of citizenship by making naturalisation almost impossible. You do not have to ignore the Gulf monarchies' occasional mistreatment of immigrants to realise that it is much better to welcome immigrants with conditions than to refuse to admit them at all. Migrants, mostly from much poorer parts of the Islamic world, accept this deal, however unfairly, exactly because they can still do far better in the Gulf than at home. They're basically slaves, but yeah, it's rough. Better than being homeless at home. In open borders, I have the space to address many more concerns about immigration in more detail. What I can't do, I confess, is address the unmeasured and the unmeasurable. In real life, however, everyone routinely copes with ambiguous dangers, unknown unknowns. How do we cope? For starters, we remember Chicken Little. When people's warnings about measured dangers turned out to be wrong or overstated, we rightly discount their warnings about unmeasured and unmeasurable dangers. This is how I see mainstream critics of immigration. The grasp of the basic facts, especially their neglect of the tremendous gains of moving labour from low productivity countries to high productivity countries, is too weak to take their so-called vision seriously. Our other response to unmeasured and unmeasurable dangers, however, is to fall back on existing moral presumptions. Until same-sex marriage was legalised in certain countries, for example, how were we supposed to know its long-term social effects? The honest answer is, we couldn't. But in the absence of strong evidence that these overall social effects would be very bad, a lot of us have now decided to respect individuals' right to marry whom they like. This is ultimately how I see the case for open borders. Denying human beings the right to rent an apartment from a willing landlord accept a job offer from a willing employer is a serious harm. How much would someone have to pay the average American to spend the rest of his or her life in Haiti or Syria? To morally justify such harm, we need a clear and present danger, not gloomy speculation. Yet when we patiently and calmly study immigration, the main thing we observe is people moving from places where their talent goes to waste to places where they can realise their potential. What we see in short 
is immigrants enriching themselves by enriching the world. Do I seriously think I'm going to convert people to open borders with a short article or even a full book? No. My immediate goal is more modest. I'd like to convince you that open borders aren't crazy. While we take draconian regulation of migration for granted, the central goal of this regulation is to trap valuable labour in unproductive regions of the world. This sounds cruel and misguided. Shouldn't we at least double check our work to make sure we're not missing a massive opportunity for ourselves and humanity? That guy, see it makes me want to read the book. Hopefully I'll download it eventually on Audible and hopefully I've got a job again soon so I can listen to it. Because you know when I'm at home, I'm not just going to listen to something I have to watch things. Because, you know, it's just more fun. That's brain juice, that. I'm going to have to uh, look into more of his work. Because again, I'm like he says, I'm not sold on just a short article. There's a lot of stuff I think he's not addressing. Like, okay, 100 million might not come overseas to your town overnight, but a lot will. And yeah, there might be some strain on basic infrastructure. And if it's say, yeah, I can't pick out any culture. I mean, the average redneck bigot would say, oh, if you had a thousand Muslims in some small town or even 10,000, 20,000, whatever, you're gonna see this Sharia law and you're gonna see all these ridiculous stonings of women in public and all, all sorts of garbage, which I really, I just don't think that's how it's going to go down. Most of the billions of Muslims out there are reasonably moderate and don't throw rocks at women. There's extremists in every religion. And I think even if you get a lot over here, and there's plenty here in Australia, you just don't have that sort of thing. There's a couple of random extreme outliers where you've got general mutilation and that's awful. But that's probably just as common as Catholic priests who abuse children. So no one avoids scrutiny there. I just think we could absorb a lot more than we are. Like he says, all the indicators and studies and facts point to that being a net positive. So hopefully one day people get there. But that's it. It's been just over half an hour. That's how sort of do a bit of housekeeping for future generations to tell you where I'm at on the uh, near end of March in 2020. Uh, Not too good, really. I'm not sick at least, but yeah, it's a bit scary but uh just get on with it that's the plan and i'll be back in a couple of weeks and hopefully have good news or worse but as is my nature i've just got to keep my chin up and hopefully y'all can do the same uh i do love you all peace out